Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Atalanta. I always call them Atlanta. I always... Atalanta. Yeah, Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> You've actually spelled... Have you spelled it here? At... Atlanta. Atlanta. Yeah, it's spelled right. Isn't it Atalanta? That's the same thing. Atalanta. Oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. Well, as soon as the Premier League season ends, City go out and sign two new players and then the Champions League is about to restart as Real Madrid come to Manchester on Friday night. Absolutely no rest for the wicked, is there? Welcome to this week's Blue Moon podcast where the focus is on getting to the mini-tournament in Lisbon. City are in a strong position from the first leg five months ago, but a lot has changed in the time since. So what will be the crucial factors for this game? I'm your host, David Mooney. With me this week, I've got City fan Chris Higginbottom. Hi, how are you doing? I'm not too bad, thanks. And we've got one football's Dan Burke. Hello there. Uh, hello. So, yes, uh, when the second leg against Real Madrid kicks off, it'll be 164 days since City won 2-1 in the Bernabeu, Dan. Uh, in that time, Real Madrid have overturned a points deficit in the Liga to become the champions. City have had a couple of so-called important or competitive games given their position in the Premier League, and they went and lost one of them against Arsenal. Um, so the pitch has changed a bit, hasn't it? Mm, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, Real Madrid were on the ropes when we uh, when we beat them in the Bernabeu in more ways than one, not just in terms of the result, but they were in you know disarray at the time. There was a bit of talk about um, Zidane losing his job. Um, the title picture looked very different for them, as you say. They came from behind and won it quite comfortably in the end. So yeah, it's uh, it's a lot has changed. You know, there's a lot of a lot of time uh, passed since then, and uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about how it might have affected Guardiola in terms of his sort of planning for this game and whether he's going to um, come up with something a bit too crazy as, he, as he's been known to do in the past. So I'm a bit less confident than I, than I would have been if we just played the, the second leg two weeks after the first leg, as was supposed to be the case. How do you think all that time between the two legs is going to affect the game, Chris? Well, it is, uh, it is a massive space between legs, isn't it? Um, even John Wayne would be impressed. <laughs> I was that. wondering. I was wondering what your because that that's not a, that's not a normal way somebody speaks. So you were definitely setting something up. Then I wondered what it was going to be. But it only just occurred to me. I swear to you. But um, but yeah, basically, there's a lot of momentum kind of fizzled out of it. I think, and the perspective is completely different compared to how it was, as you've just uh, you know mentioned with Madrid really turning their season round and their, the last like 12 games stats are pretty uh, pretty formidable, aren't they? Well, it's it's played 11, won 10, drawn 1 for Madrid. That's, it's that's, not bad, that's is it? Scary. I mean, there's yeah. <laughs> room for improvement, but not, not a great deal. Um, and the, the main worry is Pep's had all this thinking time to, I mean, he, we, we sort of worry about him, you know, he's a bit of a, 
genius like but we do worry about him overthinking certain things with ties like this when it gets really important um the the cracks start showing a bit so i'm a little bit concerned i have to say uh, momentum's been lost perhaps perhaps he's overthought it the fans aren't going to be there um we've got no mendy at left back and he had a really good game i thought in the the first leg and yeah it's a bit of bit of a concern I'm going to swim against this tide here that's starting to form because I, I'm, I'm going to I, I'm going to put it to you both that uh, Guardiola is only ever accused of overthinking games when City lose. He overthinks games like in the same way, and City win. Nothing said of it. Does that make sense, Dan? Sort of, yeah. I mean, I think the the big one that people always go back to is the Liverpool uh, away leg in the Champions League when he played Gundogan on the right wing. Uh, he's just got he's just always got a bit of a mental decision like that in him, really. Um, Spurs away was a bit of a strange uh, formation as well. I can't remember exactly what it was now, but he made some pretty odd decisions in that one. So that's the kind of thing that you you sort of concerned about. Um, whenever, well, no, well, I, I put it to you that he does that more often than we think, but it works, so we don't remember it. Do you think so? I can't, I'm trying. I'm trying to think of an example of him doing something a bit weird and it coming off it doesn't seem to happen very often for me but you might be right about that I don't know he's a genius uh, as a football manager isn't he you know he's 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 had moments at Barcelona at Bayern Munich and at City where he's he's done some really good stuff and his record in the Champions League hasn't been brilliant apart from his time at Barcelona so hopefully on this occasion he will come up with a plan for this game that will work but we'll just have to wait and see I guess won't we Chris, um, there's always the worry, isn't there, though, with City this season especially, that they've got a game in them like like Southampton or like Arsenal where they, it feels like they can play all night and never score. Mm, it does. Uh, there is that. There is that. That risk. I just I'm kind of expecting something a bit left field from him. Um, I just don't know what to expect. But back to the the overthinking it thing. I don't know. <sighs> what I mean, what in terms of trying to come up with a lineup, what do you think he's going to do? I don't really. It's it's hard to second guess. Really, I've not been paying a massive amount of um, attention to Madrid, and I think that's uh, obviously we have to look at the opposition. But I think that's the issue where Pep sometimes does. Um, fail and gets accused of this this overthinking tag is when he caters to the opposition more than focusing on our own game. The irony, so, the the irony with all that is, we used to say about Pellegrini, the one thing he never did was take into account what the opposition are going to do. <laughs> so now it's like it's like it's gone come full circle. It's gone too much the other way, is it? Yeah, yeah. Th- well, that's a very good point. Um, Perhaps somewhere in between is is the is the answer. Like, what you, you were talking about that Spurs game last year. It was like he'd um, prioritised the the league game was against Palace. Yes, he just, it was, he, just yeah. he just kind of took it for granted almost. That, and then we missed a penalty anyway, didn't we? So we were. You know, you can't really blame the manager for stuff like that. And but this is this is what I was going to say. If that penalty goes in and City go on and win that game, nobody yeah. complains about his no, selection no. that day. And the way things happened as well weren't exactly orthodox in terms of what did for us. But it never seems to be in the Champions League. It's, well, uh, uh, Madrid away, he did it, 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 that lineup. When that lineup came out, everybody on Twitter was just was immediately going, "What on earth is he doing here?" And then he's overthinking it again. Yeah, and then it, like <laughs> ninety minutes comes, they've won two one. 
That's why he's a genius, maybe, because he overthinks things all the time. And like you say, he gets away with it. Well, not gets away with it. He's normally right. So, yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm being hopelessly pessimistic. Uh, I usually am. So you're probably right. <laughs> you say about that Madrid game, though, like, um, I think that's a that's a great example of everyone being a sort of tactical genius in hindsight, because mm. there was a point during that game when we were 1-0 down, and I thought, we fucked it, he's got it wrong, we've played shit, and then they come from behind, you know, the um, they, they get that goal, which sort of came, not against the run of play, but they weren't really threatening the goal very much, City, when, when they equalised through Jesus, and then they got the penalty and won the game, and everyone goes, oh, what a brilliant, uh, you know, perfect away performance in Europe that was. That game could have gone either way, really. So To be fair, though, I think, sorry to interrupt, I think Madrid were a bit against the run of play when they um, yeah. went one up. When they scored, yeah. So, and I suppose that's completely flying in the face of, you know, how the game went. It's completely flying in the face of what I was saying, where he, He's catering towards the opposition rather than what we do because we set us up. We carried, we played the way we play, um, went behind, carried on playing the way we play, and turned it around because you know the way we were doing things was right and worked and proved successful on the night. So I should probably just shut up and uh, <laughs> <laughs> let him get on with it. Uh, well, it's been months since uh, City last played in the Champions League. We're almost ready for that second leg against Real Madrid. But with the Champions League for this season having started for City 10 months and 21 days ago, uh, we've enlisted Sam Roscoe to jog the memory of what's happened so far. City's first goal in this season's Champions League was scored by Riyad Mahrez, some 3,000 miles away in Kharkiv, in Ukraine. We make an incredible, serious, serious uh, game. We defend really well and and we create chances, especially the first minutes, the second half, where we could, you know, finish the game. And after we choose it was open. But uh, right, big congratulations. Start with three points away, so important. Now it's in our hands if we can close the games. That when we play at home, we'll be in last 16. That's Pep Guardiola speaking after City's 3-0 win at Shakhtar Donetsk in the first group game. Ilkay Gundogan and Gabriel Jesus added goals two and three that evening, leaving City second in the table. They went top by beating the leaders Dinamo Zagreb 2-0 at the Etihad, rounded off in stoppage time by Phil Foden. Sterling towards Phil Foden, who scores! 2-0, what a nice moment that is for the youngster! All about, you know, enjoying your time on the pitch when you get it and... Yeah, like today, I'm just happy to score and to help the team. That's the main thing. Did you have a bit of relief when it went in because you know it's job done at that point? Yeah, definitely, because um, I thought it was putting dangerous ball- balls in the box and just to seal the game off, um, yeah, went everything. All of the stories for this group, though, were to come in the double header with Atalanta. First City fell behind at home to the team that were bottom of the table. Malinowski steps up and scores! And Atalanta lead Manchester City at the Etihad. City were in front before half-time, though, thanks to a brace from Sergio Aguero. An 11-minute hat-trick from Raheem Sterling in the second half sealed a 5-1 victory. It was um, difficult, especially you know them going man for man all over the pitch. It was it was tight to get spaces, but you know we, we stayed patient and, and waited for the chance, and, and we took them. Of course, every time I talk to the manager about it, he says he demands more, he wants more from you. You know, he's going to the first thing he's going to mention. He should have had four. Yeah, I should have had four, you know. Um, you know, Riyad set me up for the last one, and as soon as I went for a goal, I'm looking, 
looking for him to see if he's anywhere close. You know, I wanted to put one on the plate for him. But two of the softest yellow cards you'll see in the space of six minutes saw Phil Foden sent off. Guardiola wasn't to be drawn on the topic in the post-match press conference. He will learn. He will learn. Did you feel the red card was harsh? Did you feel it? Ask to, ask to the referee. I'm not a referee. You, you didn't obviously had a conversation with the fourth official. You didn't look particularly happy with the, the second one in particular. No, he told me don't talk too much, don't talk again because I want to show you the yellow card. So I didn't say anything else. They use well the power. People say it's funny times, but they can't tell me why I'm not laughing. If that game was eventful, it wasn't a patch on the next one. It started with Raheem Sterling opening the scoring seven minutes in. That's given away by Giroud. That's Bernardo Silva. Little touch by Jesus to Sterling. Simple as that. Serious attack of the night, and Raheem Sterling gets himself another goal. But then the game went bonkers. First, Sterling was dragged to the floor on the break, and the referee gave a penalty, only for VAR to intervene and confirm the foul happened outside the area. From that free kick, Sterling hit the wall, and another VAR review. It was decided there was a handball, and a penalty was eventually given. Gabriel Jesus stepped up and missed. Up steps Jesus. Oh, that's a terrible penalty. He's looking at the floor. I think he gave it a good kick at the floor, didn't he? Doesn't do anything. Look how wide it goes. Must it by a yard. The second half was crazier still. Edison was substituted at half-time with an injury and in the space of 35 minutes, Claudio Bravo had conceded from the only shot he faced and had been sent off after rushing off his line and not getting the ball. It's Illichitz running through. Oh, Bravo's brought him down. Don't think he touched him, did he? It's a red card. The referee thinks he did. Oh, City lost Edison to a minor injury at half-time and the man they've sent on, Claudio Bravo, has been sent off. It was Kyle Walker who came off the bench and fitted in as an emergency goalkeeper. I try and sometimes banter the keepers in training, telling them to catch it and stuff, but as I found tonight, sometimes you do have to take two touches. You made one very important save. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's all jokes aside, we came here to get, you know, a, a, a point or a victory. We know it was going to be difficult because... They play man-to-man, -man. They, they're a good team and they're in the Champions League for a reason. So to come away from here with you know, how we ended the game with a draw is it's a good point and you know, we'll take that on now. Walker is, as it stands, the only goalkeeper not to have conceded to Atalanta in this season's Champions League. That point, plus the point from the one-all draw with Shakhtar in the next game, was enough to see City win the group and qualify for the knockout stages of the competition. A 4-1 victory over Dinamo Zagreb in Croatia in the final match was a good confidence builder, especially with Gabriel Jesus' 20-minute hat-trick either side of half-time. All the time when I score goals, I enjoy I have two. It's a special. When I was young, I think about Champions League, I would play, I want to score, I want the ball. So, yeah, for me it's a very special moment when they score goals and had tweak as well. It would turn out that the Brazilian striker would be City's hero in the first leg of their last 16 tie with Real Madrid too. After a subdued start, City were on top in the Bernabeu when the host took the lead through Isco. But with just over 10 minutes left, this happened. Opportunity here for Kevin De Bruyne. Immediately surrounded by white shirts into Jesus! Oh, he squeezed it in! What a big goal that is for Gabriel Jesus! It's an away goal in the Bernabeu for Manchester City. And after weeks of penalty problems in the Premier League, City converted when it mattered in Europe. 
They were given a spot kick with nine minutes to play and Kevin De Bruyne stroked it into the bottom corner. There was still time for Sergio Ramos to be sent off too, meaning he suspended for the second leg. Afterwards, De Bruyne gave his assessment of the match. The first 15 minutes we struggled a bit, but you have to go through the storm. Uh, then a pretty even first half and I think uh, we started the second half really well. And the goal comes a little bit at the bad moment for us because I think we, we were dominating at the time. But I think our response was brilliant. I think a beautiful goal from uh, from Gabi and uh, the second goal that I could score a penalty was, I think, very important. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a really good start for us. And that brings us to now. City have the advantage of a lead and two away goals, but they won't have a home crowd in the Etihad for Friday's game. It remains to be seen if the momentum built up in the Bernabeu will still be there when this second leg finally kicks off five months down the line. Hi, I'm Colin Bell and you're listening to Blue Moon Podcast. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Please give us your backing. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Sam Roscoe looking at the Champions League campaign so far. Um, looking ahead then to this game against uh, Real Madrid, Dan. We know that uh, Ramos is suspended. We know that Bale isn't in the uh, Madrid squad. That's two positives for City on a, on a big level, isn't it? Yeah, less so Bale because he hasn't been playing very much for them anyway. I mean, obviously he's a good player on his day and he did play against us in the Bernabeu, didn't he? I think he assisted the goal. Am I right in thinking that? I got or... a feeling he did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, he is a good player. They will uh, miss him. I'm glad that we don't have to play against him because he, he did, of course, score against us in uh, under Pellegrini, didn't he, in 2015 as well. Uh, Ramos is the big one. I mean, he is their captain, their leader, their legend, whatever you want to call him. You know, he's the man for them. He, he scored a lot of goals post-lockdown as well. I think he was the... I think he was the league's top scorer post-lockdown, in fact, uh, which is quite mad. For a so, centre-off as well, that's mad. Yeah, I mean, he takes penalties and free kicks, as but 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 yeah, um, he, he'll be a huge hole for them in the middle of the defence. I think, uh, I can't remember who they're going to play instead of him. Um, it, that'll be interesting to see. Um, and, you know, that, that was interesting in the, in the first leg, actually, when when Jesus went through on goal and, and you thought they could have made it 3-1 there. Ramos brought him down and got sent off. I do wonder whether making it 3-1 might have been more important for City, having a third away goal than, than Real Madrid being without him. But yeah, I do think they will be a much less uh, fearsome team defensively without him in it. And, and his, his leadership qualities are really um, a big thing for them as well. All that said, Chris, I can still say Hazard, Asensio, Benzema, Modric, Cru- Modric Cruz, uh, Isco, all in the squad for, for Madrid. So it's not, it's not like they're without talent. Yeah, they're not bad, are they? Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Pretty scary stuff, but I'm actually feeling a bit more optimistic listening to listening to you two um, talking about that first leg. But this is—I'm always like this before a game. I, I go through like oscillating wildly between you know optimism and like defeatism. Um, it's going to be tough. First goal is going to be important. If we get that first goal, then it's going to be a nice cushion, isn't it? 
and if they get the the first goal, it's going to be a little bit a little bit squeaky. I, I think the the interesting thing, for, certainly with the timing of this as well, is is like we said before about if this game had been played a fortnight after, we'd be a lot more confident. But with a two one lead away from home, and so you've got you've got the lead, and you've got two you've got two away goals. It always feels like like you come at like the full time whistle goes and you go well that's a brilliant result we are in such a commanding position but even a fortnight later as soon as kickoff comes for the next game you're thinking well it's it's not that a bigger lead and it's it's so tight so as soon as the game gets closer and it's also city so. yeah as the game gets closer immediately everybody's confidence drops down when actually there's probably little reason for that Chris is that fair uh, yeah I suppose so you sort of uh, the nearer you get to the the dangerous thing, the more apparent it is. So you you kind of start to, you know, the doubts creep in, and become a little bit more manifest. And it's real like and... it's like we've kicked to the can that's been that's that's on the road, and then we suddenly reached the can again, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. The dog has now caught up to the uh, the monster truck, which is about to reverse park over its face. <laughs> <laughs> God, that's an image I didn't expect to get this evening, but here we are. Um, how how does it all balance out though, Chris? With it being behind closed doors, does that have any impact on, or will will City lose any impetus because of that? Yeah, I think it's one hell of a, a factor to be honest. Because you know, I don't care what people say about our, our crowds and our atmosphere. For a game like this, you can guarantee that everyone would be absolutely bang up for it. The place would be pretty raucous. It'd be bouncing again if we got that first goal. The place would be, you know, it'd be just a cacophony. So to not have that, it'd be not have the crowd there. More coffiny than cacophony. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, of course, it's definitely a, an influential factor and one which I hope we don't regret too much. Um, shame about the the fact that it's gone to Lisbon and we can't go to Lisbon as well. Bloody love Lisbon; it's great. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's that, that. I mean, that's that is a conversation for another day. Anyway, they've got to get past Madrid first. Um, yeah, I feel though that if we do get past Madrid, my, I, th- I think we'll win it if we if we beat Madrid. Well, I'm going to save that for for later on in the uh, in the season, just in case you never know. Uh, you can, you might you might be uh, deemed a profit by the end of the, uh, the this mini Champions League series that we're doing, um, Dan. Like Chris mentioned there, the, the the reputation that the Etihad has for being quiet. There's, I mean, it always feels like Champions League atmospheres are different at the Etihad. Yeah, I mean, European atmospheres in general. I think they're different everywhere. I think you know that um, that feeling of. Uh, uh, you know, football at night, other lights, it really gets people going. People have usually had a few beers as well, which I think helps. Um, you know, the the, the Liverpool game was um, the, the second leg, even though we we lost in the end. You know, the first half of that, the, the crowd really sort of roared City on to almost getting back into the game. Uh, Tottenham, I wasn't there for that one, but, you know, by all accounts, that was an incredible atmosphere as well. Hamburg is the big one that people always refer back to in the UEFA Cup years ago, isn't it? So uh, I think it would have been beneficial to City to not have that. But then we won in the Bernabeu and they had their fans there so it's not it's not the be all and end all is it having an atmosphere behind you I think what what concerns me more about this this game is that we're playing Real Madrid who've been there they've done it you know a lot of those players have won uh, Champions Leagues in recent years they know uh, what they're doing at this level they've just gone on a, a mad winning run uh, won the league title you know they've really got the wind in their sails whereas you know City have shown a few times towards the end of the season that they're really fallible Arsenal in the FA Cup Chelsea away 
uh, they're the games that sort of make you concerned. We've got the advantage, but you know it's not a, a massive advantage when you think about it. Yeah, well, we've uh, we've talked a bit about the options that Madrid have there. Uh, let's get more about how they are feeling in the Spanish capital. Uh, Sam Roscoe has been speaking to Juan Castro, who is a journalist at Marca, to find out what the mood is ahead of this tie. Well, I think people in Madrid, uh, I mean, is not very optimistic in the sense that you know the uh, the result is not the best one, so they are already conscious that they are out of the Champions League, but, but with uh, Real Madrid uh, regarding Champions League, uh, always Real Madrid fans always think in the miracle, always think in the quali- qualification. So uh, probably in, in the mind they have the possibility, of course, to be out of the Champions League, but you know, still it has this last hope, which is not very impossible. It's quite difficult, but they have this last hope, and I think all Madridistas are waiting for the miracle on the on Friday. Obviously, they won La Liga. They had a fantastic run of form since the the restart in La Liga. How confident do you think that the team will be of of getting a result in Manchester? I mean, if you if you ask to them, not to the fans. If you ask to them, of course they are confident of of, of having a uh, an, uh, result enough to be qualified. Uh, because why? Because they have just won the league, which which was quite difficult, considering the advantage of uh, Barcelona. They are in a good shape. Uh, all the all the best players are in a really good mood. Benzema, Casemiro, Modric, all these guys. But the only thing, Courtois, of course. But the only thing, which is uh, which you know, at uh, a pessimistic step to the uh, Real Madrid hopes, is the absence of Sergio Ramos. That's really may, very very important for the confidence, for the uh, for the strength of the of the team. So that is quite a pessimistic, pessimistic detail of, the, of, of all this history. I was going to come on to that. Sergio Ramos um, won't be involved on Friday evening, um, suspended for the the incident in the last uh, last leg in the last round. Oh, sorry, in the last leg um, in the last fixture. How much of a you know you mentioned there as a pessimist that's going to be the the thing to influence the the game but just in terms of Sergio Ramos and Real Madrid how much of an influential figure is he on this team and how much of a miss will he be a lot i mean is i i would say is half the the symbol of the of, of Real Madrid team right now he has the power he has he's the captain he scores goals in in attack the main the, the number one in defence, he's in an in incredible good shape, he's in an in incredible good mood, he has been uh, father for, for, for the fourth time right now. So, you know, he's uh, probably in, in the best shape of his career, which is very difficult because he has a, a long career already. But, uh, I mean, this, uh, if you will say that Real Madrid goes to place in Manchester with Sergio Ramos, I think in, in the mind of Real Madrid fans, the hopes will increase like, you know, 70 percent. 
without Sergio Ramos, everything is even more difficult, not considering only on the pitch, but considering also the, the confidence of the pitch. Well, he is going to be a big miss, clearly, but who for Real Madrid is is going to be key in this game on Friday night? If Real Madrid are, are to get a result, if they are to to come back and upset the odds, who who's going to be the key the key player? I will say two, which are uh, which are both in a great shape in this uh, rear star football. One is Courtois, which is quite important also, because you know if you if you concede one goal in Manchester in Etihad, everything's more or less uh, you know finished because you have to score three for being superior, at least uh, before penalties. And uh, the other one is Benzema. I mean, uh, he's uh, probably is the, the the player for Real right now in a, in the best shape. And uh, you know, Ramadan needs the the Benzema's goals, the Benzema's game, how how to open the Manchester City defense. So I think both are quite key of this uh, in this match. How do you see Zidane? lining up at, at the Etihad how you know what will his tactics be how will he approach this game I think he has to be very aggressive but you know he's a very uh, let's say uh, a coach with not many ups and downs so I think he will be in the same mood all out the pitch and he will be more or less the same in the pitch I don't think the, the, the he will get mad and the, he will put like four four uh, men. I mean, with uh, Vinicius, Benzema, Hazard, Rodrigo, Asensio. No, I think he will play with three. I mean, four in the in the in the defense, three in the midfield, and three up front, which probably will be Asensio, Benzema, Hazard. So I don't think he will be more aggressive than other, uh, more offensive than, than uh, any other match. And I'm sure he'd, he'd love to get one over Pep Guardiola, wouldn't he? Yes, of course. He's always very a kind of, not, not aggressive, but you know, he's always uh, a maximum enemy of, uh, of Real Madrid, Real Madrid fans really hate, hate him in a sport uh, sense of the world. And uh, yeah, I mean, for Madridista, it would be a double pleasure to beat uh, Manchester City because uh, due to the coach they have. In terms of the, the players that City have, um, you know, I know that the Premier League is, is, a, is a global product these days um, and it's, it's very popular in Spain as, as well. What sort of players do the Real Madrid fans fear that are at City at the minute? I think they will have uh, they will have to to fear from De Bruyne. Kevin De Bruyne has been uh, probably the best player of the Premier League, even without winning the title. But he his assists and goals figures are incredible, so they have to be fear of him. And probably also uh, Sterling. I think he has made he has made a, a great season 
So, you know, it's another name has to be on the notebook of the, all the Madridistas. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Sam Roscoe speaking to Juan Castro there. Now, uh, we know from a City point of view that they've got no Aguero for this tie through injury and that Benjamin Mendy, as Chris mentioned before, is uh, suspended for it. Uh, but as it stands, that's it. So how would you like to see City line up uh, to get the best out of this, Chris? What? what uh, I suppose the, the first big question is, is over the front three and, and who plays as your front three. Well, yeah, I was looking at this and I don't really, <laughs> I don't have any concrete um, lineup to give you, to be honest. I mean, Jesus prefers playing on the wing. Do you play, you're at home, so you'd expect to start with a centre forward. So we're probably going to put Jesus there. Um, Raz on the left, Mares on the right, I'd probably yeah, go with. I'd go with that as well. Well, I was going to say, like, Jesus has his critics. So, like, where are you standing on him at the moment? What's your, what's your feeling towards him as uh, as somebody? I mean, it, it feels harsh because we are comparing him to the best striker that this club has ever seen, potentially the best striker that the Premier League has ever seen. Um, so he's never going to be comparable to that. But, like, I mean, equally, he has his critics this season. Well, yeah, you know, he's there to be knocked down, isn't he? He's, a, he's going to have critics. Uh, we live in an age of, like, huge... Uh, media exposure, everyone's got an opinion and uh, the ability to shout it from the rooftops digitally and that. I rate him. I think he's uh, a really good player. I think it. There is, there are question marks over his finishing now and again. But I think most of um, the problems that he has is the kind of inhibition created by um, the lack of it's not so much the comparison to Aguero, but the fact that he's playing second second fiddle to him. If Jesus was in this team, for instance, when Aguero goes, I don't like even saying that, but I mean, I hope he'll sign another year. But when Aguero goes, if we've still got Jesus and Jesus is getting started um, in the same vein that Aguero does, I would expect his uh, return, his, his confidence, his goal scoring, his finishing to improve because, you know, He's a he's a confidence player. Strikers thrive on on confidence, and you only get that with with regular runs. Um, so yeah, I really I really rate him. I think people need to uh, just back off a bit when they're. <laughs> when they're the thing is, Dan, it's hard to argue that he's he's not had an influence on this season's Champions League. I mean, there, there was a hat trick in one of the group games. You know, he's he scored a fair few goals in the group, and then he got he got the crucial equaliser in Madrid. 
Yeah, and well, that hat trick was in Zagreb, wasn't it? When it was a bit of a dead rubber. So, I mean, let's not. I wouldn't read too much into that. I mean, yeah, you're Come right. On, I, I'll give him I, some I, credit. It's still, it's still a European hat trick. It's oh, true. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not a huge believer in Jesus, to be honest with you. Um, I do think he, he, <laughs> he sort of falls apart in front of goals at times and and misses easy chances. Obviously, there's a lot of talent there. Um, I just don't think he's quite at the level that City need him to be at yet. I would start him uh, against Real Madrid partly because we don't have Aguero, so we kind of have to. Uh, and partly, yeah, because of what he did in the Bernabeu. You know, he scored that goal. He had probably his best game for City, I would argue, that night. Um, and I know it was I know it was five months ago now, but I think, you know, he will be uh, be up for it for this game, for, to go out there and, and finish the job. And he won't be up against Ramos this time, so it might be even easier for him than it was last time to kind of get into the good positions and get some chances. So um, good luck to him, yeah. I, I hope that he proves me wrong. I don't see it at the moment, but we'll see. If you put yourself in his shoes, it's like no matter what he does, isn't good enough. Because when he does really good things, he still gets dropped because Aguero's back. And when he does rubbish things, he gets dropped and he doesn't have the opportunity to make good on the mistakes he's made. I just... uh, It's big boy football though, isn't it? Yeah, I know it is, but it's like... God, you're harsh, you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not expecting miracles. I'm just expecting, you know, a bit of no, more consistency from him. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. But consistency, consistent starting brings consistency. But anyway, I suppose we, we could to and fro on that um, forever. I suppose the mm. proof's going to be in the pudding, isn't it? See what yep. he does. The the interesting thing though, Dan, I, I was gonna I was gonna suggest this as as a potential for the for the lineup because I, I think if I'm right in thinking, Jesus started on the left in Madrid. And uh, Sterling was through the middle, and uh, Mares ran the show from from the right, cutting inside. Would that not be a, a good option for this game? Possibly, yeah. I mean, you could always start with that and swap it around if it's not working, and just put put uh, Sterling on the on the left um, and Jesus on the right. I don't really, I'm not really convinced by Sterling down the middle. I don't know if there's been too many examples of that really working properly. I'd rather have him cutting inside onto his right foot. Um, Mares is an absolute must. You know, he'd be one of the first names of the team sheet for me. He's been our second best player by you know quite some distance between him and the third best player this season. I think at City. And um, you know, I think he will he will cause Madrid loads of problems. So, yeah, why not? If you know, if if things aren't working, you can always switch those front three around and have them sort of interchanging throughout the game. So, um, you know, you wouldn't want to play against that front three, even even when they're not having the, the brilliant game, because they've always got something. They're always capable of doing something. Chris, you mentioned before that Mendy isn't available uh, for you. Who plays at left back? Is it Cancelo as as, as City finished the season with? Yeah, quite probably. Um... Square peg, round hole, round hole, isn't it? With uh, starting a, a right footer at left back, don't know how that's going to affect how the uh, the whole flank down the left kind of how it links up. Is that going to influence who you'd have in the front three on the left hand side of that sort of attacking attacking trident, linking up with the midfield and and defence? He might react to because I suppose we don't really know who Madrid are going to play on the right so it might be um, something we have to react to as the game goes on the other option being if not Cancelo uh, Zinchenko and yeah what's your feelings on him because he's obviously not a natural left back yeah and through no fault of his own he's kind of made that made a lot of appearances in that position through doing pretty well there but even if it's a right footer, I think in a game like this, you, you want a, an actual defender in defence. 
whether it's his, his wrong foot or not. Um, so yeah, I would opt for Cancelo rather than uh, Zinchenko. Yeah, Dan. The other the other question marks over City for defense is is really who partners Laporte because there's there's question marks over everybody else. Like like Stones, there's question marks over him in big games. Fernandinho, do they need him in midfield? You know, Garcia is young and inexperienced, and you know he's leaving, which we'll come to a bit later on. Uh, Otamendi, it's like like really Otamendi in a big game like this. Mm. Maybe Fernandinho would be my choice. Uh, I mean, I don't think he's going to play in midfield anymore, even next season. I don't really see that happening. In fact, I'm just looking at the team sheets from the last game against Real Madrid. Um, and he went with uh, Rodri and Gundogan together in the middle that night, which wouldn't surprise me if he did that again. He actually started Bernardo Silva that night, which I'd forgotten. And I think Bernardo Silva had quite a good game, but was taken off for Sterling in the second half. And then, you know, the Sterling substitution kind of changed the game. But yeah, going back to centre-back, I'd go for Fernandinho. I don't trust Stones to play a game like this at the moment, as you said. Um, Garcia might have been my pick um, before the news came out that he's going to leave the club. Um, that might not influence Pep's decision not to play him necessarily. You know, we've still got him for the rest of the Champions League. So it would still be, you know, a nice little uh, farewell if he played in the Champions League and uh, and did well and, and we went on to win it. And obviously Otamendi isn't getting anywhere near the starting of <laughs> for this game. Hopefully, um, you know, it would have to be some sort of outbreak of rabies in the camp or something that would mean that he would, he would get a, <laughs> uh, a starting berth. So yeah, I, I would go for Fernandinho out of the options we've got, I think. What about David Silva, Chris? Because he's now in... What, in a centre-back? No, not a centre-back. Right? Just in, in <laughs> the team. Uh, um, because because he's, he's in what is ultimately his swan song at City now. He's, he's, he's at the club for as long as City stay in the Champions League. Yeah, I'm not mad into the idea of uh, Gundogan and Rodri starting together, um, despite it working perfectly well against this team in the last leg. Um, I'd, be, I'd start him, to be honest. We need to, uh, you know, we need to get a good hold on the game. And he's a, a lock picker, and he, I don't know. The worry is that the worry yeah. is that his legs aren't up to it, like uh, the, the pace of what the game could be. So yeah, start with Gundogan and Rodri, given that it worked so well last time, and maybe bring him on if we need to. Um, would that be a game a game changing, chasing scenario in which we'd have to bring him on in? His legs up to that. I don't know. He's he's not exactly going to be fatigued, but we are playing Real Madrid, so it's a bit of a toss up, isn't it? I don't know. His form post lockdown, though, Dan, is is pretty good. It was, yeah. I mean, uh, he didn't play in the Bernabeu. He didn't even get off the bench that night. But uh, but yeah, I think a lot has changed since then. In fact, Otamendi did play in the Bernabeu, which is uh, which has shocked me. <laughs> I feel, that feels like a lifetime ago, that game, doesn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, Silva, he, he has been playing well recently. Obviously, uh, he's got a bit of a point to prove this being his last Champions League with the club. Uh, so his last chance to win it. Um, he's our most experienced player in the squad. Um, he's the captain, don't forget. So it wouldn't surprise me if he did come off the bench. It would probably surprise me if he started because um, I would imagine that he'd go for a midfield free of, of Gundogan, um, Rodri and De Bruyne, as I said. But yeah, I, I, you know, I wouldn't be averse to him playing at all. I'd be, I'd be quite happy if he did start. Well, it's time to get some predictions on the board. As we said on last week's show, we're continuing this season's charity bet with William Hill for as far as City get in the Champions League. All the winnings are going to the Christie, a cancer hospital in Manchester, and we're currently on £960 for the season so far. Uh, so, Dan, I'm going to start with you. What, what scoreline are you having for, for this one? 
I go for a nervy 1-1 draw. Uh, be enough to see City through, and it's 13-2, to two, so uh, £65 if you're right. Chris, what's yours? It's a jittery 2-2. Two, two. God, you've... You, but a pair of your bag of nerves. Uh, two two, uh, eleven to one, and uh, one hundred and ten pounds if you're right. I've got two one city, uh, which is uh, seven to one and seventy pounds if I'm right. Uh, you got to be eighteen or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on responsible gambling, have a look at begambleaware.org. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Okay, so City have been wasting no time in getting their business for the summer underway. Leroy Sane has gone to Bayern Munich and already through the Etihad door is Ferran Torres for an initial fee of just under £21 million. Then Nathan Ake joined him from Bournemouth for something in the region of 40 to £41 million, depending on what you read. So let's start with Ferran Torres. Here's La Liga Lowdown's Paco Poet explaining to Sam Roscoe what Torres will bring to City. Well, I think this is a massive move for, for the kid and also I believe it's one of the biggest steals of, of the summer transfer market. I believe that Manchester City have uh, themselves quite a gem with Ferran Torres. Uh, he's one of the brightest uh, prospects right now in, in Europe. I think uh, Manchester City have um, gotten the biggest talent of the market this season uh, and also in for a bargain price. I believe that the, the, the quantity they're going to pay for Ferran is, is absolutely bonkers if we take into account just how talented the kid is. Paco, you, you make a really strong statement there. One of the, uh, the, you know, the best, if not the best signing of the, the transfer window already. Um, what is it that makes Ferran Torres so special? Well, I think that, um, that he's an already very, very interesting player at this point and that he's only 20. Um, he has proven himself at top flight uh, this season for Valencia. He also did last year under Marcelino for Valencia in the first squad. I have compared this guy many times to uh, Vicente Rodriguez. Back in the day, he was a huge player for Valencia. I'm talking about like 15, 16 years ago in 2004 when Valencia were kings in of Europe, uh, winning the championship in, in the UEFA, also winning the, the competition in La Liga. And I think Ferran has almost everything going for him. He has the physique. He has improved quite a lot physically in the last 12 months. Um, he has the speed, he has the recovery, he has the endurance, he has the uh, take-ons one against one. He, he's incredible tr- trying to, uh, you know, any, any defender that he's thrown uh, into, he's able to, to beat him. And, and I think that uh, that quality alongside his ability to score, which is super important for a player who plays on the wing, uh, makes him, um, he, you know, one of the players with more conditions and, and more qualities at this point in the European market. He sounds like he's had um, a, a really strong career so far at, at such a young age. And now he makes a, a big move to the Premier League, to Manchester City, to a team coached by you know, one of the best, one of the most renowned coaches in world football, Pep Guardiola. He's going to be, um, you know, he comes to Manchester City as as a winger. How do you see him fitting into to Guardiola's side? Well, I think that um, this is going to be to his ability to obey whatever Guardiola demands from him. I think that one of the crucial aspects of the transfer has been that uh, Pep Guardiola was very keen to on signing the, the player and and obviously uh, he has spoken to Ferran, he has spoken to uh, Ferran's family, his environment, his agency 
and and everyone knows what Guardiola expects from him. And I think that Ferran um, made a move to Manchester City because uh, specifically because of of the fact that he's going to be coached by Guardiola. He knows, as everyone knows, that most of the players who Guardiola took under his wing have improved dramatically uh, their performance and their careers. And I think that um, when Ferran had to pick and choose from all of the offers he had this summer, because he had quite a few uh, on top of the table, he he picked uh, Manchester because uh, Pepe is going to be able to squeeze most of the potential he has within him. I was going to say, when it comes to Ferran Torres, do you see him being more of a, a support player for the likes of Sergio Aguero and um, and Gabriel Jesus, or, or you know maybe further down the line, do you see him as a player that can step up to the mantle and and score goals and sort of lead the line as well? I think it really everything comes down to what Guardiola needs at that point. I think at the beginning we can expect Ferran to be a supporting player all the way, and I think that. Uh, adapting into the the demands of the competition is going to take him a few months and in that time you know maybe not being a starter from the get-go getting a few minutes at the beginning more confidence as, as time goes by getting a goal over here an assist over there let's see how he gels with the offensive front of uh, attacking front of Manchester City I think that he's going to have a, a great time with quality players such as Sergio Aguero as you said right now um, and maybe further along the road, maybe he can become that kind of second striker, uh, score with more um, score with more more confidence possibly, and, and and becoming that kind of player. But you know, I think it comes down to what, as I said before, what uh, the manager uh, at that point needs from him. Uh, I think at the beginning we can expect Ferran to. To be a, a supporting player, um, slowly pick up the pace, slowly adapt into the competition and and what demands uh, it takes from him, and and let's see what what the future brings. I think that he has the qualities to do whatever he is expected from the manager. But at the beginning, I think we should be I don't know a bit easy on him, and and uh, let's see what he can bring to the table. Certainly sounds like a, an exciting prospect and and one that I'm sure Manchester City fans will enjoy watching in the uh, in the near future. Just um, on the actual move itself, it was quite polemical or controversial, wasn't it? His exit from from Valencia. What what went on there? Yeah, well, it's a very very long story. I'll try to make it short. Um, Ferran Torres has always been very keen on trying to prove himself. Uh, at the top level and back in the day two years ago uh, he had quite very very high demands on the club uh, he asked Valencia to be made a, a first squad player straight away he didn't even play for the B team he went straight from the un under 18 squad uh, straight into the first squad and that's because uh, he pressured the team into, into giving him the chance and Valencia did so and Marcelino did so uh, and and he and he live up to the to the task, live up to the challenge, and that's why um, he had his debut for the first team. And even he was the youngest Valencia player to play 50 games with the first squad, uh, and he was 19 years old when when that happened. Um, unfortunately for Valencia, they extended his contract two years ago into uh, summer 2021. So um, he wasn't that binded to the club as much as the club wanted to. 
and that's why they tried extending his contract even further and they tried doing so for the last 18 months and later the 1920 season happened for Valencia which was an awful season as everyone knows the months went by Ferran kept playing and he kept becoming more and more impressive and when uh, January 2020 came around, Valencia had already tried everything and failed. So they knew that this summer they had to sell Ferran Torres or wait six months and Ferran could sign for free as a free agent for any club. Uh, and Valencia wouldn't have gotten a single euro from his transfer. But at the same time, I have to say that the whole drama comes from the fact that Ferran Torres hasn't been properly aided from his agency. I think his statements and remarks in the last few days are not going to help him, both locally here in Valencia and in his new club. I think making such bold statements as, you know, his demands for extending his contract in Valencia, he demanded becoming one of the captains when only 20 years old. He demanded to be one of the higher salaries of the club, again, with 20 years old. And he demanded to sit down face-to-face -face with Peter Lim as proof that Peter Lim really wanted to extend his contract. I think that a 20-year-old shouldn't do such things. And I think that, yeah, it shows on one hand that he has very, very high confidence on himself. But at the same time, I think that he's too young to uh, behave in that way. And that kind of attitude might bring him to come trouble in big locker rooms as, for example, the one in Manchester City. So I can speak wonders of Ferran Torres uh, football-wise. I believe he's a very, very highly rated player and he's very talented, very young, and his potential is incredible. But at the same time, I don't really think that on the personal level, I think that uh, a 20-year-old shouldn't be uh, doing or saying the things that he's been saying lately. For example, I can explain right now that back in the day, Valencia in February, January, February 2020, placed on top of the table one last bid to extend his contract. And Ferran Torres' agency and the player himself, they never replied. You know, even replying that... No, thanks, but no, okay, that would be enough. But he even, he didn't even reply. And I think that kind of attitude towards the club, you know, his home ground club, the place where he grew as a player, as a person, I don't think that's proper behavior from anybody. And he might have some trouble uh, in Manchester City's locker room if he doesn't humble down that kind of attitude. <laughs> Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Check out exclusive city interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. That was La Liga Lowdown's Paco Pollitt speaking to Sam Roscoe there. Now, uh, Dan, do you reckon that Torres will be more of a, of a direct replacement for Leroy Sane? Yeah, kind of. I mean, he's, he's a right-footed version of Sane, perhaps. Um, yeah, I said on the, the live podcast last week, actually, that he reminds me a lot of Son at Tottenham. Uh, the way he runs, the way he kind of dribbles, the way he cuts in from the right flank. Um, I think he's going to be a really good signing for us. I'm really excited to see him. I would have perhaps liked to have seen us sign a left-footed winger because I really enjoyed watching City when we had Sané out there on the left and still on the right and, you know, two proper wingers um, going at it. But 
I think Guardiola made it quite clear, even in the uh, the 2018-19 season, that I don't think he really want to, wants to play with wingers like that anymore. I think he's quite happy to have these uh, wingers cutting in. Um, the talk is that is that Torres is going to play on the right, so it's going to be interesting to see what that does with Mares um, and Bernardo Silva if they start playing over on the left hand side. Um, that could be quite interesting. We might still get you know players with uh, playing on the on the right side of the, the, the you know the. What am I trying to say? The, the feet. The, the, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? Right, right feet I mean. on the right flanks, yeah. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think he's a good signing, but um, not exactly a like-for-like replacement for Sane. Uh, Chris, when when you hear that he's potentially a more direct player than than someone like Mares or someone like Bernardo, it will give some City something different to unpick the locks, will it? Yeah. I think our intricate passing style um, sometimes is too slow. In terms of you know you can control the game all you want you can have um 107 possession against southampton and if you're just pussyfooting around that sort of tick attacker approach doesn't always uh it's not as penetrative or you know you need a bit more of a blitzkrieg approach and get him turned get behind him and he, he if he's going to offer that then then all the better uh i must have I, I, He's, it's a bit of a gamble, and it? it's always a bit of a gamble signing someone that young. He's coming to a different, um, a different culture. I don't trust wingers anyway, in general. I mean, I love a <laughs> why, why not? <laughs> I just, just the two hit and miss. It's like devious bastards. That, honestly, don't trust them. <laughs> uh, don't play cards with a winger. That's my advice. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, I don't know. They're they're really sort of mercurial, aren't they? The nature of being a winger. It's like if you if your job is to beat your man, and you go out and try and do it in the first five minutes, and you get nailed, it's like you've you've got like a real job on your hands there. If you skip past him, then psychologically you're like, hey, this is my go. I'm the winger. This is my day. But you know that's the uh, the territory of being a winger. This is why I don't trust them. You sound like a man scarred by years of watching Jesus Navas. Well, and also playing as a centre-forward, thinking, why don't you just pass? I will give you your back. Stop trying to take him on, man. It's so annoying. But anyway, I'll leave that uh, personal grievance for perhaps another another forum. Yeah, but we'll, uh, we'll part you, that one, though. With, with this one, with Torres, though, I've watched him on YouTube a bit, and I suspect Pep's um, you know, prep has perhaps gone a little bit more in-depth than mine in terms of watching a few YouTube show reels. You know, you know. If, if it's good, if it's good enough for Sven, it's good enough for us. You know. <laughs> well, that's a point. But <laughs> when you watch a few sort of YouTube show reels of somebody, it's better to be, you know, Samaras looks great on on YouTube. And I, I was watching it, thinking, is is he is he all that? Is he going to really bring what we need? I'm a bit skeptical about it, to be honest. Um, I hope I'm completely wrong, as I, you know, it has been known in the past now and again. Uh, so it's, it's a gamble for me. I just don't know if he'll if he'll cut the mustard. Well, uh, we'll, we'll we'll leave Chris's discriminatory remarks against wingers. Wingers, yeah, The other news uh, this week, uh, Dan, is that Eric Garcia isn't going to extend his contract. Uh, this is what Pep Guardiola had to say in his press conference ahead of the Madrid game. Oh, he announces that uh, he doesn't want to extend the contract with Manchester City. So he has uh, one more year, and after that, 
uh, yeah, he doesn't want to extend. We want it, but uh, he doesn't want to extend the contract. So imagine he want to play in another place. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Facebook.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. So what do you make of that, Dan? Well, speaking of devious bastards, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's disappointing because... I really rate Garcia. You know, I think he, he was perfect for the style of football that Guardiola plays. Um, he seems like a pretty switched on lad. You know, there's the stories about him doing his coaching badges earlier in the season at the age of 19. Perhaps a bit nerdy, but there you go. Um, so it is disappointing to, to see him leave. Um, but, you know, being realistic about this thing, he's, he's a young lad from from Spain. You know, he's come through Barcelona's youth system before coming to City. Um, playing for Barcelona is probably a childhood dream of his and if he's been offered an opportunity to go back there and play in the first team then I don't really blame him for uh, wanting to take that I am quite philosophical about players wanting to leave the club in general um, you know it's not like we're losing Kevin Kevin De Bruyne here as well um, I think we've been quite lucky over the years in that we've been able to keep our best players and the club have created a culture whereby alright they pay players a lot of money but they also make them feel comfortable make them feel at home uh, make them feel like there's nowhere else that they need to be really and that's why we've you know seen uh, David Silva stay for 10 years Sergio Aguero stay for 10 years you know company you name them all all our top stars have, have, have given longevity to the club um, now and again a player will want to leave like Milner did like uh, Sané did like Garcia does now you've just got to say you know it's one of those things isn't it it's football players aren't always going to stay forever um, good luck to him what do you reckon Chris uh, free, free transfer next summer or a, a, a sale this summer well if he wants to go he wants to go if his heart's not in it. It's kind of a homecoming or homegoing um, for him if he goes back to Barca. I suppose you can be a little bit um, sour grapes in terms of, so you were at Barca, you didn't really think you were going to get in there. You've come somewhere else and we've given you a few starts. You're starting to bed yourself into the team. Seems a little bit, um, you know, you can understand why people be a bit, Annoyed by him going back to Barca, but by the same token, we've just bought Aki. We're, you know, publicly um, in the market for another experienced defender, and I think we're haven't we um, offered Tozin a contract, or we certainly it was rumoured. So he's probably looking at that and thinking, well, you know, am I going to get much more game time next season? Maybe it's uh, worth going back to to Barcelona. I don't know if he's going to get much more game time there, but if even if it's like an exactly equal scenario to him in terms of percentage game time, the likelihood of establishing himself in a first team, maybe he'd just prefer to be there. I mean, it's where he's where he's grown up, so you, you can't really hold it against him too much, I guess. It's not like he's a moody winger or anything. <laughs> Weather's uh, a bit nicer in Barcelona as well, isn't it? So. Yeah, that exactly. Yeah, that's a, it's a bit of a draw, isn't it? It's a nice place. Uh, Chris mentioned Nathan Ake there. Uh, he, sec- he was the second player through the door this summer. I've been speaking to Sam from the Bournemouth podcast, Back of the Net, to find out more about what the defender will bring to the Etihad. To be honest, he leaves with most AFC Bournemouth fans wishing him well. Well, nearly all of them. He's been the absolute consummate professional for us. His performances have been exemplary. He's a leader by example. He just got on with his job and always put in 110%. So whilst there's a lot of sadness, Bournemouth fans always knew that we as a club were almost punching above our weight having him as a player. And I know City fans might be looking at Bournemouth being relegated or looking at the goals that Bournemouth conceded. Believe me, 
without Nathan Ake, it would have been a hell of a lot worse. But yeah, honestly, most uh, Bournemouth fans, obviously very, very sad. But to have him as long as we did, uh, we certainly consider ourselves very lucky. And his last his last touch in a Bournemouth shirt was actually a challenge on a potential Jamie Vardy shot, which was probably going in and it deflected over the bar thanks to you know, Ake sliding across. He got a bit of an injury after that, actually. And that effectively won us the game because we went on to beat Leicester 4-1. Ultimately, of course, we didn't manage to stay up, but had we, had we done so, we would have had Nathan Ake to thank. What a guy. So, Sam, what are City getting in Nathan Ake as a defender? Uh, well, I mean, where do I begin? I, I, I just think he is so slick on the ball. He reads the game so well. He's not the tallest, but he wins most had, uh, headers. He's he's always one step ahead of a striker, um, never afraid to make a challenge, a good distributor of the ball, happy to bring the ball forward himself and is not a sort of hoof and hope defender, very, very calm on the ball. And he's even taken to play in, in midfield. Now, when we've been short, with we usually have Jefferson Lerma or... Dan Gosling or Lewis Cook in our midfield. When we've been short due to injury, he can also fill in there. Now, obviously, with City's strength in midfield, I don't think it's going to be something that Pep's going to do. Um, however, he is incredibly versatile. And what's good, obviously, he's a, left, uh, a left-footed and left-sided central defender, but also can fill in at left-back as well. He's a goal threat as well. So many times he's come up and scored last-minute goals for AFC Bournemouth, both with his head and his feet. And uh, honest to God, he will score next season for City, and you will love him. Guardiola demands that defenders are happy to play with the ball at the feet. You know, we've we've seen it from, from everybody that's come in at City. How do you think Nathan Ake will do with that? One of the advantages I think you've got, actually, it's interesting you say that, but... Bournemouth, despite the fact we've gone down, I mean, we were atrocious this season. You could blame it on injuries or whatever. Um, You know, we've always, as a club, adopted a footballing policy. Now, obviously, um, on the whole, our defence hasn't got the technical qualities like the Liverpools and Man City's to be able to do that. But we've tried it now. Nathan Ake in that position, absolutely fine. No problem at all. It's when our other defenders get the ball, like Simon Francis, who's very much aged now, or Steve Cook, uh, or Charlie Daniels, for instance. That's when we haven't been able to deploy that tactic very well. But as far as Nathan's concerned, no problem at all. He's so calm and composed on the ball. Um, and, you know, like I say, he's a he's a quick reader of, um, you know, what the striker's going to do. And just, I, I don't know, I think he's going to fit in extremely well into the system. And look, Pep's not stupid. He wouldn't part with £41 million for a player that he thinks wouldn't be able to cut it. And I'm telling you now, he will be able to. So he'll certainly fit in uh, City system really well. And I think it, it, it's going to make him a better player. I think you know his career might have even been stunted at Bournemouth. And I, I can't wait to see him progress. And I can really see a future where him and Virgil van Dijk are probably going to be, um, you know, the the shoe-in central defenders for Holland in the forthcoming years, because I can imagine that combination will be unstoppable. So in that sense, do you think City have got a bit of a steal with the price they've paid here? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, 
it's a win-win deal, right? I mean, if this transfer happened a year ago or even six months ago, I think we could have been pushing towards the Harry Maguire levels of fee. Not quite that level. I mean, Harry Maguire, I don't think, is 80 million. Virgil van Dijk, what was he, 75? Um, Nathan Ake, 55, 60. Um, but obviously, given the facts, uh, the post-coronavirus climate is very different and you know, us getting relegated to the championship, that alone uh, must take millions off his value. I think that £41 million is a is a good deal for you and a good deal for us. And, uh, you know, in, in some ways I do think it's a steal, yeah, because you will see as soon as he puts on that shirt... He's 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 absolute quality, and um, he's going to be a player that's is still young. Pep can you know technically make him better. I think he's had a good foundation with Premier League football, and you know Eddie Howe's got great man management skills and has brought him onto the levels that he's at. But Pep will push him that little bit further, and you know what? I'm more than anything, I can't wait to see him playing in the Champions League as well. So I think I think it's a fair deal for everyone, but um, yeah, certainly a steal for City. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You've made it this far, so don't give up now. Chris, what what are your thoughts on uh, on Nathan Ake? First off, how how involved do you think he's going to be if City are still in the market for another top class centre back, and they've got Laporte there already? Hard to say. Um, I mean, sometimes circumstance dictates things like that for you, doesn't it? If everyone's fit and we get, say, Kubaleli, then maybe not that much. Um, he's, what, 25, is he, Aki? I got that wrong. I think he's 25. Yeah, 25, yeah. So he's basically not going to be wanting to be second fiddle. Um, I think he's a really good player. His stats are really good. Uh, the only thing I think he's lacking on is headed duels. What his passing's great. Um, his challenges won. Is you know, I think he's like second in the league uh, statistics wise. But yeah, I think he's a really good signing. I just hope uh, you know for his sake that he does get the game time. I'm, I'm not. Uh, I don't believe. You got people like Jamie Carragher going. Oh, I don't think uh, having two left-footed centre halves is a good idea. I think that's absolute <laughs> rubbish. It just doesn't really matter. Um, you know, you have two right-footed centre centre halves all the time. Like, what's the deal with that? But yeah, great signing. Uh, as to how much you'll play depends on who we get. Who else we get this this summer? I think we're gonna probably jettison otters, which is a. Uh, that sounds like a great name. I might start signing up to, <laughs> to pubs with my track and trace name. As like, yeah, my name's Jettison Otters. I've <laughs> but we're probably going to Jettison Otters um, and Stones up in the air, in it. Yeah. Um, uh, how important is another centre back, Dan? Uh, well, it's funny you mentioned Stones. I think, you know, he's probably the big winner of Garcia leaving. Um, you know, let's say for argument's sake that he does uh, get sold to Barcelona this summer. Uh, even then, if we bring Koulibaly in, you would need some cover on the right side for him. And Stones would be the natural uh, option for that, you think, unless Adarabayo does come back and is promised to be the backup, which is possible. I'm not really sure if he's quite there. You know, he did, he did well at Blackburn this season by all accounts. I don't know if he's quite at the level required. We'll see. Um, so 
you know, I would certainly like us to get another centre-back. I would certainly like it to be Koulibaly, if possible. Um, there's been a couple of other names mentioned. I think Diego Carlos at Sevilla is one of them. Uh, Jimenez at Atletico Madrid. Pau Torres at uh, Villarreal is another one. So um, th- there's a few options there. Um, but yeah, I think if Garcia's going, then we've definitely got to get someone. Yeah, we're a, we're a club that needs to be in a lot of competitions. So you need that strength in depth, don't you? Um so they probably are all going to get a reasonable amount of game times, despite you having your your mainstays, your stalwarts. Uh, as you, and as your uh, this season, as well as has kind of proven that the strength in depth, certainly at centre back, has not been there as soon as companies left. Hundred percent. Yeah. Well, that's it for this week's show. Uh, we'll be back next Friday as we're reviewing the game against Real Madrid and then hopefully previewing City's appearance in the tournament in Lisbon against one of Lyon or Juventus. That's if everything goes to plan. If you'd like to support the show, then you can sign up to Patreon and enjoy our bonus shows for free at the moment. There's no charge for August and that's because we're not putting together any special content until the Premier League season returns. But you can listen to all of the previous bonus shows on patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Please also give the show a rating and a review on Apple podcasts or wherever you're listening just because that helps other city fans find us and helps us pay the bills with the show's ads as well thanks to my guests this week dan burke thank you and chris higginbottom jettison otters have a good evening i will (laughs) see you next week take care that was the blue moon podcast Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.